we do it in a different order every single All time. Right. Well, hi, I'm Sean. And I'm TC. And this is the Wasted Knowledge Podcast. Podcast where the interviews get... Well, see, fuck that up already. All right, let me handle Pre-game. this. Pre-game. The podcast where <laughs> the hosts get drunk and the guests get drunker. Drunker's a word, right? I feel like I describe this in a way way higher level concept when I tell this to tell other people about this. <laughs> you it's, know, it's the know, conversation you have at bars and you explain what you I'm do. I'm pandering to a new audience. I'm pandering to oh, a new audience. I new right? audience. I hope you're larger than the last one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so uh, today, uh, we're obviously we're going to introduce what we're drinking because uh, I'll probably leave that cut in. Uh, we have a, a a another guest named Pat. I don't know how this keeps happening. Uh, and Pat has a, has a pretty off, awesome profession. Pat, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi. My name is Pat. Uh, Patricia, but Pat for short. Um, I'm drinking uh, Reformation Breweries Jude. It's a Belgian. It's fantastic. Try it if you haven't. Love it. Cool. And what do you do? I am a physician in the emergency room. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, and I'm, well, I'm drinking bourbon and coke because i don't know i was drinking champagne and i thought i'd switch <laughs> way to go chad right. and i'm and i'm drinking uh prairies uh consider yourself hugged um uh delicious low alcohol it's only 12 percent um <laughs> roasted coffee and peanut butter stout sounds terrible may have had a little bit of daiquiris before this show started this nice. evening, though. It's been I, kind of a celebratory day for me. You know, just a day off, really. Met, met up with lots of people. It's the holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. Yeah, it's happy holidays. Oh, yeah. Merry Festivus. <laughs> for everyone else. Oh, I thought that was a good one. Thanks. That's a solid <laughs> reference. Uh, yeah, so it's the holidays, and... Uh, well, yeah, I'm not. I guess you're the only one drinking something festive. Like, well, this Jude. Jude is Belgians. always festive. It's always festive. If you're drinking it, is just drink more if you don't think it is. Solid. I'm actually just thinking, like, maybe I should go get, I don't know, something slightly fancier, like a gin and tonic, or. Well, not like I don't even consider this festive. It's just. It is more fancy than what he's drinking. It is. It's very fancy beer. Yeah. But now beer. I feel I wish like I had Prairie's Christmas Bomb. If you haven't had their Christmas Bomb, it's it's the bomb. And I worked really hard on that, guys, so please laugh. So, <laughs> so come on, try. You can edit later. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's just... Uh, so. But, honestly, though, what is it? Like, is it something that I would like? Yeah, well, Prairie, in general, Prairie is very well known for their stouts. Um, they do the birthday bomb. They do a Christmas bomb. They do... They, they've recently released, over the past... Well, I guess it's been about a year. Um, a deconstructed bomb where they take like all the flavors of their most popular Imperial Stouts. So they usually do a blend of flavors. Um, that, like this one is a peanut butter and roasted coffee. So a deconstructed one of these would be like just the peanut butter aspect and then just the coffee aspect and things like that. But their stouts are always, Prairie's very well known for their stouts. And they're always on point, even though they can be kind of pricey. Hmm. Good to know. And they're always high alcohol. Also good to know. <laughs> nice. 
Well, I'm still, I'm still drinking, man. There you go. So, Pat, you are an emergency room physician. Yes. So, that's your title. What do you do? All right. Let me start by saying that to be an emergency room physician, we are already specialized. Please stop asking me <laughs> if I'm ever going to specialize. <laughs> After medical school, we have to go to residency for three or four years, depending on your program, to be an emergency medicine physician. This is not a step up to something else. We are trained to treat emergencies. This is what I do. I will help you with your sore throat. I will help you with the flu. But what I'm trained to do is intubate, central line, CPR, and save lives. So if my elbow feels funny. I'll still see you, and I'll try to help you as best I can, but you'd be better off with an orthopedist. Mm. Honestly, like it just took me a second. I'm like, which one's orthopedist? <laughs> right. A doctor who specializes in joint problems. So I... I have a guy that I used to see at the restaurant like every other week that did that. Oh, different kind of joint. What? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that was a dumb joke. Uh, that I had too. to miss it. I, I didn't it mean out. to suggest that orthopedists only treat joints, but if you have a musculoskeletal problem that's actually really bad, the orthopedist is probably the way to go. That's your person. Nice. Wait, so in thinking about that, so, like, uh, so if an orthopedist does... Is it muscles and bones or muscles and joints? Technically. Musculoskeletal. Yes. Skeletor. Skeletor. Technically bones. But to be fair, if you have muscle soreness, it's usually not that big of a deal. If you, like, lacerate one, completely take it off, that's a major problem. The orthopedist can also help you with that. What about, like, sweet compound fractures? Definitely orthopedist. I mean, if you have a really terrible But should we fracture, see you first? Yes, because we will try our best to put that shit back. <laughs> Under sedation, of course. With limited efficacy. But you really need to see an orthopedist. <laughs> so that's what I was, I was going to try to lead into until I screwed up all the words. Um, Medical words are hard. Yeah, they are. That's, that's, like, that's why you why have to study them. Why did they teach Latin like, in school? That's bullshit. Because you only need it if you're right. in medicine. <laughs> or in the law. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Right. Jurisprudence. Right. I don't really know what that means. Uh, it was, it was, there was once a jury made up entire, entirely of women named Prudence. <laughs> and um, that's all I've learned about Pretty that Pretty sure story. we just offended everybody in law. <laughs> <laughs> named Prudence, yeah. Yeah. Whatever, they've uh, got a whole term named after them, so they should be happy actually, that it's, that it shouldn't be offensive at all. Prudence, <laughs> chill. So, if I could poorly, poorly simplify, or ask an oversimplification question. So, if an orthopedist is muscular skeletal, skeletal, if a podiatrist does feet, what would you kind of describe, like, ER as? ER is, I don't know what the heck is wrong with me, but I'm pretty sure something is horribly wrong. Tell me I'm not dying. And if I am, direct me to the correct professional to deal with that. And sometimes the correct professional is us. I mean, let's say you have some underlying disease. Or not. I mean, sometimes this just happens. Okay, best example, heart attack, right? You come in, your chest hurts. It's our job to tell you you're having a heart attack and get you to the cardiologist. 
I didn't really start with that example because we don't do much. Literally, we look at your EKG, we do one blood test, we tell you you're having a heart attack, and I call the cardiologist on their cell phone and say, I have a heart attack, you have to take him to the cath lab. That's what happens. You see me for maybe 15 minutes, but that's what I'm supposed to do. If you have some horrible problem, it's my job to diagnose it. A less, uh, I guess, I don't want to say severe, but a, a less timely problem is appendicitis, right? Everybody's heard of appendicitis. You probably know somebody who's had it. Your belly hurts. You're throwing up. This happens a lot. You come in. Okay. I'll make you feel better, but my job is to make sure that you don't need surgery. And if you do, I have to diagnose that, call the surgeon, and get you into surgery within 24 hours. That's my job. So I was going to actually ask a question before he did, um, that, but you kind of just answered it. Basically, like, being an ER doctor and an emergency room doctor, I was going to ask, like, what would you consider for the world, and not to deter anybody, but what would you consider an emergency as far as people needing to go to the ER and needing to do that? That's but a, the way you one. just said it, the way you just said it, it almost sounds like that doesn't even matter. It's matter. It's your job to decide if it's an emergency. Like, it's your job to kind of figure out what kind of emergency it is and either delegate where it goes or perform, like, stabilization and life-saving uh I, I've lost the words. Procedures. Yes. Thank you, sir. And tasks. That's Task. exactly it. I mean, if you've had a cold for two weeks and it's just not going away, that is not an emergency. If you have some new problem that is exceptional to you, like let's say severe pain or you really can't breathe and you just don't know what it is, that's an emergency. If you have a chronic problem. Let's say you have COPD or CHF, and I know not everybody in the audience knows what that is, but some of you do, and it's just worse today. It's my job to know if that's a problem or not. If you feel like you are in dire straits, come to the emergency room. If you have a problem that's just not going away, go to urgent care. That's what they do. Urgent care is so expensive. Have you seen an emergency medicine bill? No, no, because I, it takes a lot for me to go to urgent care. I'm like, I'm not so sick I can't wait till Monday. Emergency medicine is about three times more expensive than urgent care for the same workup. Nice. Because you see a true physician. In urgent care, you may see a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant, which... Does that mean there's really no difference between urgent care and minute clinic? Minute clinic is an urgent care. Yeah, it's like urgent care in a closet. Essentially. That's insane. I never thought of it that way. Maybe. Now, urgent care may staff physicians. This is sound in a box. Whatever. Maybe. Sometimes. But not necessarily. In the emergency room, at least in my experience, you may very well see a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant and not an emergency medicine physician, like an MD or a DO, but they always have oversight. So if your case is not typical, if there's any question that you, you might not quite fit the mold and they have some concerns, they always come to us. And I can tell you, I have what we call APPs, or Advanced Practice Providers, the, those, the, the NPs and the PAs, they will come to me a dozen or two dozen times a day. 
and say, listen, I'm pretty sure that this case is okay. I just want to run it by you because there's this one little thing that's a little bit off that I'm not quite comfortable with. What do you think I should do? And that's physician oversight. That's the whole point. <laughs> did you ever watch House? Yes, I did. <laughs> Although I've never seen Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> uh -huh. That's fair enough. That was a great show. Well, I mean, it was a great show up until I stopped watching. Just like, I, I watched Grey's Anatomy until somebody had, like, a, a bomb in their stomach, and then I, I think I watched it. I, didn't watch I meant House. I've never seen I've, Oh, House? I've seen, like, one of Grey's yeah, Anatomy. Yeah. Well, fine. Wait, so actually... I'm is, the only one that watched Grey's is, Anatomy. Everybody is, make fun of me. Is the Everybody tells me I look like Meredith Grey. Like, everybody. <laughs> I'm O'Malley, so it's okay. I've never seen it, but... It's all right. It's cool. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Is, so, is a... Diagnostician, the thing house was. Is that actually a real job? No. Okay. <laughs> yes. Damn it. All I do is diagnose. And also, may I just say, I have an ideas, man. You, you don't <laughs> Sorry, sir. come into a doctor who then decides that you need a procedure, who personally performs it himself, and then draws your blood and takes it down to the lab and then runs it and then complains because it's not a good specimen. That never happens. There's like three dozen people involved in that process. But don't you think that our medical bills would be cheaper if one person did could could do all that? It would be, but your wait time in the ER would be about three days. So Canada. I'm just I don't know Canada. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, you mean I'm all for free health care. I'm just it was a joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. My, my next sorry, was, Canada. So if we have a slower medical system where doctors know how to do or can do more then everyone's going to be more polite is going to be the outcome? Because that would be, I'd be okay with that. No, I, I would I like know. to see just a well, more... Well, actually, can I just say something oh. about the wait times? Yes. Because they can be extremely frustrating, and I understand that, especially this now. This is the perfect place for all this. I don't know, like, when this is going to be broadcast, but we're filming this. Filming? Recording? Recording. Recording this yeah, I didn't turn the camera. in the, the height of secret. flu season. So your wait times in the ED are going to be long. Can I tell you? The other day, this is a true story, and I'm going to be vague because I can't say details for what we call HIPAA laws. Essentially, I can't give you personal information about patients. Not anyway, to be confused with rhino laws. <laughs> I was trying to see a patient. They were next on the list. They've already been waiting about an hour and a half. And as I was walking to their room, somebody came in who could not breathe. Their oxygen saturation, which should be 100%, was 80. That's not good. <laughs> So we had to do all kinds of interventions with them. As I was walking out of that room, one of my techs, somebody in the ED who, you know, helps out, not, not a nurse, but close? I don't know, they, they're, they're trained. They're not a nurse, but they, they are a medical professional. Anyway, they brought me an, an EKG that they'd taken, and they said, I'm really concerned about this. And I looked at it, and the heart rate was twice what it should be. Said, normally, I'd be a little upset that you, you know, interrupted me while I'm trying to deal with this critical patient. But in this case, thank you. You need to do that. Well done. So I immediately went to that room. Skip ahead, two hours later, both patients are stabilized. And I go into the patient's room that I was walking toward two hours ago. And at this point, this person has been waiting for three hours for... I think it was abdominal pain. It was something like not, not life-threatening, but probably pretty serious because it brought them to the ER. And it's just, I, I apologize to them, but you have to understand that this happens. Like people come in dying 
a lot. And if somebody is dying, I go to them first. Even if you are in horrible pain, even if you're in extremis and in distress, I'm going to go to the person who's dying first. And I apologize, but I have to stay in that room and stabilize that person for as long as it takes. And sometimes it's an hour or two hours. And I know that you're waiting and I know that you're in pain, but the nurses can't give you medicines until I order them because it's a controlled substance. And I can't order them until I get to a computer. And I can't do that while I'm performing CPR. So I just want to say before we take this interview down the <laughs> toilet as we really, really can, that like essentially like you are saving lives on a daily basis oh, yeah. at your job. And that's something like incredibly like honorable, incredibly admirable. Oh, and yes, and that is amazing. So one of my favorite patients, and I really hope that he's listening because he'll know who he is. Um, came in early in the morning because he's a professional and he had to get to his job. Um, I was taking sutures out because I was the only person in the emergency room at six o'clock in the morning and they called a code. And there are many codes in the emergency room, but the only one that we really respond to is a code blue. That basically means that somebody has died and you have to come and resuscitate them. So they called a code in the ER, code means code blue. If so you said, watch Grey's Anatomy, you would know that. So, well, huh. I'm just kidding. Yeah, well, I, I thought that I had to specify because, again, I am ignorant. I'm kidding. But I told him, he, ha he only had like two sutures left. And I said, I'm sorry, I have to go. And he just kind of shrugged and he said, I get it. And I went and we stabilized the other patient. It took maybe an hour and a half. This poor guy only came in for suture removal. Came back an hour and a half later. He's still sitting there, just hanging out, took the last couple sutures out, and I apologized again. He said, is he okay? I was like, well, he's alive. I mean, obviously, he's very sick. He's like, awesome job. One of my favorite patients ever. Like, he just got it, you know? You don't really meet people who understand the, the breadth of what emergency medicine is. Like, yes, we, we do take sutures out and put them in, for that matter, but we do a lot more than that, and I'm really sorry that it took two hours to take his sutures out it shouldn't have but he understood that's awesome today like a lot of people are about me 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 oh, yeah. like it's i had somebody cut in line cut in the grocery line in front of me the other day with like oh like for no reason <laughs> oh, and man. they would have gotten that they got out of that grocery store no joke <laughs> Three, four minutes before I did. Yes. And it's like somebody who cuts in front of you, like, when you're driving. Oh, and then you pass them in traffic later. Oh, yeah, because they like, hit hey, the red light that you do. Stuff. Like, oh, but, thanks for cutting me off like that and almost destroying both of our cars. And, like, I get really frustrated sometimes. And other times I'm just like, you're not even worth it. And obviously you have something really important to do right now. I, uh, I, I whisper shit talk. But, like like but audibly like, whisper? Yeah, yeah. Like like so like yes. like like the grocery store thing. I'd yes. be like, this fucking asshole right here. Oh man, I, I and I I've been trying to stop swearing on the podcast so we can get a broader audience purview. Dang it. PG thirteen. Uh, we can say fuck like three times and that's it. This raging cucumber well, that's right two. here. Dang it. 
Uh, but like, but I'll I'll do it loud enough so they can hear me, and then like as soon as they, they turn around to kind of like go like what, I'll just kind of go stare at them and just, and and usually just like just looking right at them does it. Uh, I think it's only once where it's just like let's make this awkward enough. So like, and it's perfect when you can either make eye contact with the cashier who's like, yeah, I'm sorry, but this is my job, and I'm not gonna do anything about this line stuff. So I like look at someone behind me and just like look back at them and like lick my lips, <laughs> like yes. Well, I mean, uh, this one, um, as we always do, relating it back to the service industry. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, the, like the other day, I had a. This is actually a fantastic story for me because, I have recently left the world of fine dining, mm. and left the world of, higher end, borderline pretentious service, and serving people who are spending a really, sometimes just ridiculously unnecessary amount of money for a great experience like it, i i 100 if you can do it or you have a special occasion like it's, sometimes it's not the great experience is hard to find but when people spend that kind of money and and when people come to those kind of establishments like there's this sense of entitlement that is almost almost uh warranted you know like you're spending this kind of money and you took the time and made the reservations, and like so, everything should be perfect, and everything should be for you. you I almost you. feel like you're talking about Disney. I, I, <laughs> Disney does create those kind of things, but so coming from that, like plenty of times, people were just rude or angry or not understanding of things going on around them and not right there, and that's okay to an extent because in our industry, like I always let it pass because in our industry, like. It's not about, they shouldn't have to worry about everything else. They don't have to worry about cleaning things. They don't have to worry about cooking things. They don't have to worry about having to take their jacket off. They don't have to worry, like, because people do that for them. I mean, but now I'm in more of, like, super casual neighborhood bar situation where... You're at Cheers? Pretty much. It's an amazing Cheers. I love it. Uh, I might as well as be Norm, though. Well, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't want to say, but yeah, you're kind of are Norm. Yeah, I am Norm. <laughs> I'm Norm. So, but now I work there. So, um, and I had a guest come in, and she just like I'm taking care of other people at her specific table, not even like elsewhere. And she's she interrupted me, and and she's just like me, 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 me. Where's my food? Where's my drink? This, that, and the other. And it was the greatest thing ever in a long time for me to look at her and just go, you need to calm down. <laughs> Excuse me, what? Yeah, look, I, I, I got your drinks. I got your food. It's all coming. And you're going to have a great time once it's here. But in the meantime, you need to chill out. All her friends laughed. I was able to walk away from that completely unscathed. Never would have happened to fine dining. But... Like I said, it, those are different environments. Like you can't do that. You can't be like, "Well, I had to go save six people's lives." No. Thanks for being entitled, ass. No, I can't do that. In fact, <laughs> um, recently, there was a very uh, unfortunate case where there's a, a pediatric code. A, a child died, um, less than a year old, and we worked very hard to save this this child, and it just didn't happen. I mean, we, we never got our heartbeat back, came in without one, and we did everything we could do to try to resuscitate and nothing. So I had to talk to the family. 
And by the family, I don't mean the mother and father. I mean, there were eight people in the room who came because this poor child was in the emergency room and it was bad. That's all that, that they were told. So myself and one of the charge nurses had to come in and tell this entire family that their youngest child has died. We were also the only ones in the room to try to counsel them, to help them through it. I mean, at six o'clock in the morning, you don't have the ancillary staff. You don't have your pastors and you know your care coordinators. It's just you. We're not trained in this, but we've done it a lot of times. So we sit there with them because we don't know what else is better to do. We sit and we answer as many questions as we can, which is not a lot because Again, they came in without a heartbeat, and we did everything we could, and the heartbeat never came back. But we talked about what we did, and what could have happened, theoretically. And the hardest part is what to do now. Like, once it sinks in, that the child has passed, so now what? Do I call a funeral home? Do I... Uh, should I have already? Do I need to... How much is this going to cost? Like crazy questions start coming into play. And all we can do is answer as best we can. And again, I'm a physician. Like, I I'm not a funeral home director. I'm not a police officer. I'm not a pathologist. All I can do is sit there. Offer them water and just sit until they process. Because if I leave the room, that's gonna be worse. And yes, it's six o'clock in, in the morning, I'm the only person there. And if there is another serious problem, they'll interrupt, they'll pull me out. But until then, I have to sit with that family and just process with them because there's nothing else that I can do. Yeah. The problem is, if you come in and I know you're in pain, you know, you're having this horrible problem, I get that. But if you're not having the same crisis as they are, I need to stay with them. I mean, that's, that's rough, though. Like, you kind of having to make those judgment calls. Like, people don't understand that. But it's, I mean, it's easy Honestly, it's easy for me right now to understand that you explaining it in this way, but you don't get the opportunity to do that very it's often. It's a pretty dark podcast. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> well, I was saying, no. like, I need to refill. You're about, uh, you're about done. And like I, said, yeah. like I said, like well, I said, I too. wanted to, I wanted to kind of get into some of this and like the seriousness of what you do and the admirable part of what you do, because I guarantee you we're going to take this down the toilet very soon. <laughs> I have very many questions about ER stories and things being inserted inserted into anuses and and stuff like that. So that happens. I mean, we get that all the time. Yeah, like, yeah. What's what's the craziest thing you've <laughs> ever seen? And like, we know what you want to hear. The nutcracker up the butt. But our mind immediately goes not to the Snapple bottle up the butt, but which side first? Oh, straw still in upward. I just I just the really... X-ray was amazing. Could you see the Snapple fact? No, <laughs> no. but I can recognize the bottle because you can see, 
like the, the glass the, is reflective so you can see the little like, indentations yeah, little, like, yeah this is already amazing all right to be continued butt x-rays not a butt x-ray but an abdominal ultrasound oh oh we're getting fancy now right yeah so can you like 3d could you 3d sonogram like somebody's rectum colon if once they had something up there get like a 3d would that be possible do, do it's like, not really the same kind of tissue in that do area like a printout too yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just put it on a fridge maker bot is like a maker rectum send it out model. as a christmas card it's funny because technically yes they do have 3d ultrasounds they call them 3d sonograms and they're only available to see babies and right. they're mostly right. like computer generated so no, we don't do that. Oh, so the, <laughs> damn it! I feel like I mean that would be. Cool I feel like, like a, if I had a friend or family member who was in the ER for that, like I would pay ridiculous amounts of money for like a 3D <laughs> ultrasound of what. We do CTs though. I say like CAT yeah, scans. They're way better pictures. I'm just I just want to like literally like do like a the, a MakerBot like 3D printed image of whatever it was that it was there and make like a little trophy. Like here you go, we're not gonna give you the original one, but congratulations. No, they get the original one back. Most uh, of them ask for it, actually. Yeah, as long as it's not like a bullet, they can just, have it. Oh, that that would probably be the one thing that I might ask for back. Yeah, like, hey, I'm alive. Too, but because it's part of like a uh, an criminal case, yeah. yeah, we have to turn the bullet. Over. What if you like, but, like but the accidentally shot yourself while cleaning a gun? Can you get that bullet back? Sweet. I was just cleaning it, Mom. Refills. Refills. Yeah, I'm still processing those. <laughs> 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 Alright, so you have. I have some great cases, but most of them are too specific to actually talk about. You can clutter them up with vague details and pets. But no, one of them they can talk about. Petisms? happens rather frequently is I had a patient who was was not an American native who had you know lived most of her life in another country but had come here 10 20 years ago and she came in with a not really benign it could be quite serious but she came in with pyelonephritis which is essentially a urinary tract infection which had progressed to her kidneys she was still okay though. She wasn't horribly ill. That could be treated with antibiotics. But I wanted to do uh, a CAT scan, a picture, of her abdomen to make sure that she didn't have a kidney stone. Because if you have pyelonephritis, the kidney infection, and a kidney stone at the same time, that could be very dangerous. And she was having a lot of pain. So we did the CAT scan. And the read came back, no stone, but there was a foreign body in the abdomen. And it turned out that she had had a surgery in her uh, native country many, many years ago in the abdomen. We had no idea what this was. So I just randomly found an object in this woman's abdomen that had been there for a decade. Like, hey, welcome to the ER. I'm going to treat your problem, but oh, by the way, 
There is some foreign object in your abdomen, and you need surgery. What did this object resemble? It was like a tube. The, the, the thought is that it was probably a trochanter. I mean, I don't know this for sure, but when you do surgery, the uh, laparoscopic surgery, the robotic type yeah. thing, there's a, a tube that the mechanical instruments go through, and it, it kind of looked like that. It's hard to tell on a CT scan. But it looked like some sort of tubular structure that was there. And obviously it hadn't caused an infection of any kind. So it was sterilely implanted. But she just had some something in her belly for a decade. And it, but it had nothing to do with her pain. Nothing to do with her pain. It was just randomly in there. Yep. Did she get the surgery to get it removed? Yep. But at another facility, so I couldn't actually tell what it was. Part of me, I would just been like, eh, leave it. Because I have heard, holy giant bottle of gin. Um, I have heard... That was not about me. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard stories of people, like, having... Now, granted, they wouldn't have been, like, completely internal. Most of these stories are things being embedded into tissue, whether muscle or skin. But, like, people stabbing themselves with pencils or getting shot with... BB guns or something, and then like decades later, something pop like the skin actually pushing it out on its own, yeah. like ten years later. Yeah, it'll do that. In fact, um, I'm not going to say it's personal experience, but it kind of was. I went to get one of the, like a dermal piercing, and the piercing artist who knew me well, <laughs> uh, yeah, about that. Um, he refused to do it. He said it's not going to last. Like, you're going to go through four months of healing, and in a year, it's going to be gone. Because you just, like, it, your body tissue is going to push to the surface, and it's going to wear itself out. Everything does eventually. That's why splinters eventually come out. Yeah, even the ones under your fingernails, they need to come out immediately. Well, anything <laughs> under your fingernail, there's something called trephination. And can I tell you, my favorite tool in all of medicine is this trephination pen. It's like magic. It I, looks like a Can we just call pen. it a trephinator? Sure. All right, a trephinator. I'm trephified. The trephinator. Okay. It looks like a ballpoint pen, but you hit a button, and the little, like, what would be the ballpoint pen, that little angle that comes to a tip, lights up like fire. And you run it along a nail, and it just melts it. It's freaking fantastic. It's like a pocket laser for splinters? Essentially. Well, technically, it's for blood collections underneath a nail. Which hurt like crazy face, by the way. Yeah, what like if you slam your finger in a car door thing? Yes, and you get you get the little blood pocket under there. That hurts like freaking crazy. I, I thought they just drilled a hole and let your nail fall off. I thought you. I just mean, let technology it... says we don't have to do that anymore. No drill anymore. Because uh, we didn't Trepinator. even. I'm just saying. Growing up, I've seen this happen. Never personally, but people either near and dear to, people near and dear to me literally had family members use power drills. On nope. their fingernails. Trephinator. In order it, to take care like of that. It looks like an old-fashioned ink pen with a button <clears throat> no. that makes it hot. But cost, cost efficiency here. Meh. If you use a power drill at home, are you basically taking care of it? It's just a little bit nastier. I mean, there's a little bit of risk. You can't see my face right now, but putting a power drill into your finger is always a bad idea. Damn it. I just had to f let it heal. Dang it, I swore again. Uh. All right, we're just going rated R today. Man. We all got to... Yeah, but it changes your listing on Apple Pot. Oh, Apple, Apple Cast, Apple Podcast. Apple, is it just Apple, though? 
because it probably changes our listing on Apple if I say Apple as well. Sean, I don't mean to make your job harder, but the funny thing about the, the Trapinator <laughs> is you have to angle it away from you because the little uh... blood spot underneath the nail is under pressure. So if you open it, it's going to shoot out like a freaking <sighs> fountain. So you got to make sure that that nail is angled away from you while you like bore into it because if you are like all into like i'm gonna do perfect and i'm saying like a lot i'm sorry i've had a lot of alcohol if you're trying to do really really good it's just gonna spur right in your face i hate when that happens yeah again i didn't know there was an option for treating this i just thought hey you messed up your fingernail it's gonna hurt for a while wait till it you know it's gonna fall wait a month and a half (laughs) sorry Oh, there is. Huh. And it's all like Doctor Who style. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's a sonic trephinator. What, what other cool medical tools do we not know about? <sighs> There's so many, but I don't know if anyone would appreciate them. How often do you use a scalpel? A lot. How often do you accessing. call for a scalpel by saying scalpel? I mean, you're not really a surgeon, but still. Scalpel. They're, they're computer orders. We just say number 14 to bedside. Did you say, hey, Google, or Alexa before that? No. Well, it's (laughs) worth a shot. (laughs) Because I would also love to say, Alexa, scalpel. All right, I have another good question for you. These these are good questions. I'm I'm rolling right now. So in this... I don't believe you. (laughs) In in, in all this interview, you spouted off about... (laughs) 1920 different I just completely forgot what they're called medical facts? initialisms Alis- initialisms That's not a word. It is a word. So a it is this word. a what is what does everybody think it's called when an acronym? Okay, an acronym is only an acronym if it is if it's a word as well. So taser is an acronym. But if it's just like ED medical like you said jargon. before if it's just ED, it's an initialism. Or it's a name. Look it up. So, anyway, letters. <laughs> Letter. I, I may what be what if dr- it's Ed, short for education? And no, well, if I'm you can say okay, Ed instead on. of if you say Ed instead of E D, yeah, then it's an acronym. Uh, okay. Okay. So you're right, right. Uh, if you say okay. Taser instead of T A S E R, then it's an acronym. Mm, mm. But if you it. if it's T N T, it's an initialism. It's dynamite. I learned that from ACDC. Um, So, you've said a lot of letters in talking to us. Yes, I have. That's an ongoing joke in medicine. I mean, when we learn, we learn all of our terminology in Latin. And the idea is that you can talk to other medical professionals from other countries with the same language that, by the way, doesn't exist anymore. That's okay. Fine. I get it. But in the end, we all abbreviate, and we know our own abbreviations, but it gets to the point where you can write an entire patient encounter with a bunch of letters that mean nothing to anybody else. Can you un- can you read the handwriting when it happens? Well, there is no more handwriting, because it's all oh my God. computerized. Thank I'm so God. Old. I'm saying, like, I could be a doctor. I could have been. I could have been now, now that handwriting is not a factor. Right. But no, when I actually had to read notes, because when I was in medical school, we were still reading handwritten notes. And no, we could not. But 
knowing what they would probably say, we could guess. I know it sounds terrible, but like we had, we we relied so heavily on anachronisms and turns of phrase that we could decipher whatever code they wrote, and it's become a joke. Like there's an entire H and P, which is short for history and physical, <laughs> about that, uh, that told us everything about a patient, and literally there was not a word in it. It was all letters and numbers and symbols, and it made sense if you were a doctor. <laughs> Otherwise, no. It made no sense at all. <laughs> well, what's your favorite jumbling of letters? Anything from an orthopedist. <laughs> because, quite frankly, like, they, they are a specialist, of course, but their specialty is so outside of what we do like all of what we do is try to regain normal physiology essentially i sedate people and pull i try to make their bones line up sorry guys but that's what i do i knock you out try to make your bones line up again put a splint on and then send you the professionals whatever they reply back to me is so far beyond me it's either, like, you did an awesome job, we didn't have to do anything, or, well, the fracture didn't really line up correctly, and I put some pins in it. Okay, cool. I don't even know if that was my fault. Like, I did my best. The post-production x-ray looked good. So, my brief stint into emergency medicine, after what you just said, was when I was, like... 13 or 14 years old and my brother and I got into a fight like physical altercation he's only a year and a half younger than me and it, it got pretty crazy my sister who's twins with my brother decided to try and break the fight up and got in between us my brother pushed her and her thumb went Directly in between the freezer and refrigerator, that crack in between the freezer and fridge oh, door, yeah. it went right in there and it just kind of pressed on itself and it shattered like the the bottom bone of the thumb, and it was all jerked. And then she fell to the ground and started crying, and me and my brother were still too preoccupied with our fighting that my brother picked her up off the ground and told her to stop crying. When he did, he basically picked her up by her thumb. So he basically. So it's broken and dislocated. He basically, well, he basically brought it back into place. Oh. By ripping her up off the ground. <laughs> oh, man. And then oh. she showed us, and there was immediate swelling, and she was obviously like her whole arm was shaking. And I put popsicle sticks on it, and wrapped it in some bandage, and then we took her over to the neighbor's house because there were no parents home. Took her over to the neighbor's <laughs> house. I was the babysitter, and uh, and then uh, we ended up going to a, an emergency physician after that, and they said that the splint and the setting of the thumb was amazing. Even yes. though they still they still had to put pins in, and she had pins for a long time. They said that it was just it was whatever had happened was great. I still have that same happy face every time I have a really terrible <laughs> like trimel fracture. And I try to put it back, and I get a call from the ortho who says it looks amazing. 
I still have like a little flutter in my chest. Like, thank you, I tried. <laughs> when, when I was in Boy Scouts, we had a, a like a pop wilderness first aid test. And like, in test being that like it was like all the local Boy Scout troops are getting together to do like this wilderness first aid learning slash examination slash competition. Like, how well can you treat someone out in the wilderness? And um, we didn't know it was happening, so everything that we did was based on like two sticks and a couple of handkerchiefs. And uh, like, basically, all we could do was like, like, all right, let's kind of pull, put it in the, to a, what looks like a stable position, and tie that shit up. And that's what we did for every like. There's like 14 stations, and they're like, and, and every, every time they're like, yeah, that, that that would work. Yeah, okay, that would work. I mean, like in in a dire like. If there's no one else better than you guys there, yeah, you you probably didn't kill them. I did Cub Scouts. Never made it to Boy Scouts, but in Cub Scouts, like I never made it. Popsicle sticks in a bandana, you can do anything. You got you got a <laughs> sling, you got a splint, you got a tourniquet. I mean, that's not greatest tourniquet with popsicle sticks. Those things snap like I think you're thumbs. not supposed to do tourniquets anymore, are you? I don't know. I I, I would making eye contact with the emergency position. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Never. Why? Why? Cut off, cutting off blood flow is perfect. Well, because if you want to lose the thing, that's fine. We don't need right? it. Right? Heaven forbid you I get a snake a bite pinky. on your junk. I did. I said emergency. That's all we said. I got. But popsicle sticks and handkerchiefs are all you need in medicine and a scalpel. Have fun with that. Suction. I'm going back to snake bites. I don't know why. Suction. Because <laughs> it's not. Because actually, so when I was a kid, I got a snake bite kit, like one of those little pill, bodily looking ones. And like the idea is like, all right, so there's the little the thing you can make it like a larger incision, and like a sterile wipe, and then you're supposed to like use one half of the pill because it's rubberized to like create suction around where the bite is to that suck makes up venom. Zero sense. And I love it because like six years later. It was then, like, when I'm starting hearing, like, yeah, that's that's a total myth. There's no way that you can suck the poison out. Yes. No. Unless if, you... If the poison is in there, it's already through your bloodstream. Like, what do you expect to do? What about... You can just, like, implant you... it, like, a, a vial of poison in, into you and you can suck it out again. It doesn't work that way. You have blood flow. What's your favorite medical myth? That you have to encounter way too often. <laughs> he knows what I'm gonna say. I don't. I actually don't. Maybe. Maybe. Anti-vax. Oh, oh gosh, this oh. is a whole, whole. And whole. let me say, oh. it's not even anti-vax. It's anti-vaxix because they made up their own term with anti-vax. two X's, which apparently makes it more cool. Wait, people say anti-vaxix. It's anti-vax. V-A-X-X and vaccine. Is V-A-C-C-I-N-E. <laughs> so I don't know what they're going for, but Well they're not against vaccines. They're against vaxes. Vaxixix. The Italian <laughs> the, the Italian race. You might be the against vaccines race. for all I know. I'm anti Hoover. But Alright, outside of those insane flat earthers. Um <laughs> Oh god, that's we I just I'm sorry if I if I just uh I'm not sorry if I just lost an audience. Probably um, not. 
Um, <laughs> and looked at who who listens to podcasts. Most Damn. of the eighty percent of people that listen to podcasts, by the way, have college degrees. And <laughs> how many people with college degrees are anti-vaxxers? Oh, how many? None. <laughs> well, no, wait, man. Never mind. I'm not gonna say that because that's that's horrible. Do it. Do it. No, not doing it because you'll have to edit it out. Because. Uh, 